everybody. It's Tanya Adlita back again with Recovering Church Girls, and I am so excited to have a familiar face with me. You may not know her yet on the Recovering Church Girls side, but if you've seen anything that we've done with the Single Parent Summit, then I think that perhaps Maria will look familiar. Maria Fuller is the founder of Raising a Powerful Girl, and I am so excited to have her here with us, especially as we're talking about all of the things in society that might try to prevent that, whether explicitly or very subtly. So Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I am really excited uh, when you told me about this project that you were kind of toying with this idea of the recovering church girl, the you know first concept in my head, I was like, oh, wow, I think I'm one of those. <laughs> So, um, you know, my background, I am a native of Spain. Um, I was born um, in Sevilla, Spain. My parents met. My dad was in the U.S. Navy. Um, they had a really fast romance. Three months later, they were married, um, and I was born there. And if you know anything about Spain, um, it is 99 point, like, I don't know, 5% Roman Catholic. And so I was brought up in this Roman Catholic family uh, with a strong Latina foundation. Um, I went to Catholic school uh, pretty much my entire career up until my first year of college, um, from preschool all the way through private high school. Um, my first uh, university was a Jesuit university. Um, I promptly left that <laughs> after my first year, after the like, bed checks and your boyfriend's not allowed in your room, um, coming from the, you know, the religious influence. Um, you know, so I was brought up with this really strict Roman Catholic mentality and looking back now being where I'm, I'm at, especially with raising a powerful girl and starting to kind of peel off these layers that have been imposed on myself that I don't want to impose on my daughters. And then starting to kind of see what else is being imposed on women. I really find a very strong correlation to my Catholic upbringing um, in not a good way. Right, <laughs> right. And we can certainly find the good in any situation. And I'm sure that we both still have things that are very good about our childhoods and we can, we can call those things up. But that's not really the conversation that we're here to have. And I'm sure we'll get to the good, you know, anyway, just because that's kind of who we are. But I think really it's taking a closer, deeper look at a lot of the bedrock foundation of not only how we were raised, but then also how society at large has been influenced by these same beliefs. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I think that it was when I started to, you know, not only raise my kids, but there was a switch about more intentional parenting. It was in that process that I would say things and I went, I don't actually believe that. Hold on a right. second. And I'm like reparenting myself in that exact same moment that I'm also trying to give my kids direction and whatever it might be. But especially, I remember being really triggered by certain things with Anna, my daughter, around the bathing suit that she would choose or, you know, mm. things like that, that would somehow equate or connect with sexuality mm -hmm. and modesty and all these other kinds of things. I'm, the things that would come out of my mouth are just 
not at all what I actually believe or what I want for her. And that was the, you know, the big mirror in my face of going like, okay, let's really take a deeper dive here. What do I really think and feel and believe? And what do I want to teach my children in this exact situation? Did you have a similar experience as you were then mothering your kids? Yeah. You know, I think for me, what stood out first, and it's not necessarily directly correlated to, um, you know, the church upbringing, but I grew up wearing a uniform. And so at 37 years old right now, I'm giving you my age. (laughs) I don't have an identity with clothing. I have no style. I don't know um, what I like, because I don't know if I like it because that's what I've been told to like. Mm, So when I, you know, I have two girls and when I had my first daughter, um, what's been very helpful for me as a parent was that we had enrolled her in Montessori school. And up until that point, I would say she was about two and a half when we enrolled her. Um, you know, the clothing that, that she was wearing was, I would say very classic styled, you know, what I kind of had picked out for my Spanish influence. And here we go when we enroll her in Montessori school. And I am struggling with this child who is fire and spirit and energy and leadership um, and, and intelligence. And she was so amazing, but holy crap, it was hard to raise this. And I, I remember saying to the preschool teacher, she's like, you know, you guys have been late every single day and it's really important that you get here on time. And I'm like, I can't deal with her. I'm waking up an hour more than I should to try to struggle with her, to fight her, to, to put, to wear clothes. She's like, why are you fighting with her on her clothing? And I said, well, because she like just wants to wear like this and that. And she's like, Maria, you need to let go. Mm. She's like, you need to let her wear what she wants to wear. And if she doesn't want to change and she wants to come into school in her pajamas, then pack a pair of clothes on the side. And they had clothes in their cubby and just let her come to school. She's like, why are you arguing over this? I'm like, but how she like wants to wear like these colors. She's like, we don't care. Remember, this is about, you know, Alexa learning to be who she is. Mm -hmm. And so in order for her to develop a sense of identity, she needs to play with things. So she needs to mix and match. And it comes down to the simplicity of picking out her own clothing. And it hit me in the face. I didn't understand that because I never had that opportunity. Mm. Everything was so regimented, um, mm-hmm. you know, in my upbringing from the uniform. And even, even if we had like um, an event outside of normal school hours that was with the school, there was a very heavy dress code where girls wore dresses. We didn't wear pants and the hemlines had to be to a certain place. Um, And then when I went to high school, it was a dress code, not uniform, but again, very much like your, and I would get detention all the time because I would have growth spurts. And then all of a sudden my skirts would be short Mm. and my parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, I actually got a job working at the gap so I could get a discount to buy clothes. So I'd get detention because my skirt would be too short all of a sudden. And they would come with them with the ruler and measure Mm. me mortifying in the middle of the hallways. And so this concept of me being inappropriate because my hemline, um, had graced above Mm. my knee, Mm -hmm. um, was, was really big. And I think it, 
it, it probably played into my sexuality as 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 anything showing skin was inappropriate and then that that then in turn turned into body image issues for myself later on um, that I'm still currently battling and that I'm trying to uh, un unpeel the layers and kind of help moms navigate that as well mm -hmm. or their daughters and and to teach body love because there was no body love it was all body shame yes absolutely. is what I had learned yeah absolutely and I think that was a pretty universal thing and I so appreciate that you mentioned that because I think that sometimes we experience these things and we don't ever really stop to think and observe and, you know, kind of detach from the moment in order to get a bigger picture of it. Because we didn't know anything different when we were in that exact environment. So it's not until 10 and 20 and sometimes 30 years later that we're looking back and really putting all the pieces together. So the idea of making the connection between the rigidity around the clothing choices or the lack of choice, which one could then define as control, you know, mm -hmm. it's really a pretty, pretty equal, you know, connection there. But then from there, let's go so far as to say that the way that you dress determines your value as a human being, whether you are appropriate or inappropriate. If you are causing lust, if you are causing scandal by showing too much skin, what does that really mean about who you are as a person and what then all becomes wrapped up in your identity? So absolutely, it's all connected and getting into body image and self-worth. And there are so many layers to all of of this and I think that it's just not something that's talked about often enough to be able to have that conversation of like wow that happened to you too I really thought that was just me I thought that was in my head and I think again that goes to the idea of the culture we weren't encouraged necessarily to talk about how we thought or how we felt with these rules we were simply told this is the way it is period there was no discussion that went along with that Right. And then that leads into leadership. And so I am, you know, I think it's, it's so weird to say this in a way that doesn't sound bad, but I have been, I have felt anger like towards my girls because they are so feisty and spirited and amazing. And I allow them to do that. And, and I can see myself in them, especially my youngest, who is my most spirited and everyone that knew me as a child will say she is your clone <laughs> and I and I say to them what happened mm. and it, it upsets me to such a deep level what happened to me mm. if that's who I was and it was because I wasn't in this place where I could speak up mm -hmm. and so it's taken me it's taken me to, until I had found my career, which was in a male dominated industry, my first career as a paramedic, to learn to find my voice mm. because I wasn't allowed to have one. And I was a rule follower. I was the girl that the teachers all loved. I was the straight A student. I was the child on academic scholarship. I was the child that was in the ambassador for all of the schools. So I would go to other schools to bring children back to our school because I was so well-spoken. I was the girl that was always picked for the May crowning to put the wreath on Mother Mary's, you know, hair. I was the girl that was always, you know, chosen to speak in front of the church and do readings. When it came mm -hmm. to something in terms of their determined leadership, I was picked. But the moment I said, 
you know, this teacher in high school who's male and is being inappropriate and making inappropriate comments and I speak up, I was immediately shut down that there was mm-hmm. something wrong with me. Well, maybe if right. your skirt wasn't too short, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't have to look. And so the mixed messages um, that were there did not allow me to, to lead and made me feel like my ideas and my thoughts were crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because I look at it now, like only recently in like the last two years that I'm seeing these things that have held me back because I was told that I wasn't allowed to speak up about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that angers me uh, a lot because I think that it, it did a lot of damage. Um, And, and, and it, and then it upsets me because there are so many things from the church that I did love and that were beautiful for me. Um, it's just unfortunate. And I'm starting to see now glimpses of them loosening the reins mm-hmm. a little bit. And I think it's because they've had so many people leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they absolutely. have to evolve with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, even with the Me Too movement, seeing how many stories came out of the church. I mean, honestly, it didn't surprise any of us who grew up in the church because we're all right. kind of like, well, duh, A, we all lived it, so we know it happened. And B, when you really look at the foundation and the systemic idea that, you know, again, everything that's wrong in the world and all of humanity comes back to the sins of a woman and that a man is not actually responsible for his own actions. But again, it comes back to a woman's responsibility to manage his emotions or his uh, desires or his behavior. You know, clearly the whole thing is, is rigged. Like the game is rigged in that particular definition. Do I think that that's all that the church is? No, of course not. Uh, But at the same time, I think that it would be a disservice to not talk about that and to not call things for what they are, because for so many generations, that's all they did. And they just kind of continued perpetuating the narrative that now we all, you know, in 2018 are still having the same conversations. But I think that I think the storyline has changed now, which makes me really excited because there are so many of us that got good and mad over this entire thing and our own personal experiences and a lot of us are now starting to say this happened and that's not okay or this is happening or this attempted to be happened you know all of these different things but we have our voice now and you mentioned that that was just a pivotal piece for you could you share us how how did you find your voice again how did how did you come back to being you in that dismantling and then rebuilding process you know, I think for me, I still don't know who I really am. I, I think I'm still trying to find that. I see, I, I think I see reflections in my girls of, of my true spirit. And I believe wholeheartedly that um, our children choose us. And so this is where my spirituality comes in and it conflicts a bit with, with, the, with the church. But my girls, you know, we talk about God, but we also use different words interchangeably. So we use the word God, we use the word source, we use the word universe, and we use the word mother earth. And for us, that is the same being. And my girls have verbalized and talked to me about being with God and picking out our family Hmm. and knowing each other up there. And so to me, I believe that each of my girls was sent to me to remind me of a piece of myself that I had lost. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, and so they teach me as much as I teach them. And so the work that I do is really about, it's just, it's about developing the person as a whole, you know, this concept of personal development that we all talk about, it's used, the term is used so lightly, but really, you know, our job as parents is to develop these children and they're Mm -hmm. helping me develop myself. And so when I speak up, I think I've found my courage to speak up because I find myself as the role of a thought leader of, of raising a powerful girl is my voice is the voice of a lot of other mothers that feel this way. And, and I speak up for my daughters. And if the work that I do only impacts my girls, and I know that's not true because I've seen it already, um, then it's worth it. And so that's my fire where I say I have to, to speak up, even though I'm scared, even though it hurts, even though this feels weird, even though I don't even know exactly what I believe, but you know, this is how I feel. And going back to this concept of of intuition. um, Mm -hmm. And to me, that gut feeling that intuition is your soul speaking. And I believe in having a soul. And I believe that the work that we come here to earth to do is soul work is God's work. Um, and so my spirituality is almost, I had pushed it away so away where we didn't pray or, or I didn't want to step into a church. Um, and slowly my girls have taught me to bring that back. And so I feel that I've become a more spiritual person, um, through this journey with them, but without having to have so many rules. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, and from my early teachings was that God loves us for who we are. And he would never do anything that would be um, wanting to keep us from speaking our truth and, mm-hmm. and doing the work that we're supposed to be doing. Um, and so I think that that fuels my fire and knowing that the work that I'm doing is soul work and it is, um, I don't like using even the word religious. It's spiritual in a sense because it's good for the universe. It's needed. Um, and so I'm fulfilling that part of, of, of my destiny. I just needed to look at things from a different way. And, and maybe I needed that Catholic upbringing, that really rigid upbringing to give me the experience that I had to be able to reflect and look back now and see this the way this was done with me caused this, caused me to shut down, to not be a leader, to not have a sense of identity um, and to not be independent, which are the three core values of my company. And so seeing that now I can peel the layers back um, and being the type of person that I am, I, I can put two and two together and say, well, so if this was the experience, what can we do that's different? Mm-hmm. Um, and go from there. So I, I don't think back and, and look at my experience of having been horrible. Um, yes, it came with pain and heartache, but it's come with a lot of joy and taking my experience and, and doing good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I've, and I've started to find parts of, of the community back again. Um, there's a, a close friend of our families who was a very well-educated woman. She was an engineer and she felt called to the church and she became a nun uh, two years ago. And my family, we went through that process because she was here in New York City um, from Spain. And so we developed this really close relationship with her and she's from a 
um, an order called the Sisters of Life, and they help women who find themselves pregnant and want to keep their babies or, um, you know, have had a loss or have chosen to terminate and are dealing with the heartache of it and they help them. Um, and while my views may not be the same as theirs in certain issues, I can see their good of wanting to help other women and help women find their voice. And so seeing that, mm -hmm. that work is like, well, there still is good in there. I just have to find those places, find those people that, that are doing the work that I feel is godly or religious mm -hmm. in a yeah. way that works with what we need these days. Right. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that. And also just for your vulnerability and transparency in that as well, the idea that it, it is a process. And sometimes when you have to dismantle something that was such a, a pivotal piece of your foundation, I think that it's very easy, you know, the expression being throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's, it's very easy to have that as the default because sometimes the, either the pain was so intense or so pervasive or it's just all a bit of a cluster in your mind as far as, well, what, what is good, what is right, what do I still believe, what was an absolute lie, what was controlling, you know, and really to take the time to sift through that and dismantle it. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a pendulum swing where yeah. we may go really far to the extreme because we need to. We need the space mm -hmm. and time to heal. But then as the pendulum swings back again, there is not only that happy middle ground, but I think we can also go so far as to, you know, kind of pivot over and find the good that can be celebrated. Even if we don't agree eye to eye on the philosophy or the theology, we can still see good happening in the world when humans look out for other humans. And that, and I think, you know, in and of itself makes such a difference in our society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it is a process, you know, and I think this is a process that's going to continue to evolve. And, you know, as my girls um, get older, it, I find myself going back to early studies. So we lost a very close friend of ours um, this past March. Um, it was my husband's childhood best friend. Um, we all started, you know, dating at the same time, 19 years ago. Um, our girls are very close. Um, and uncle Chris, um, was diagnosed with cancer five years ago and he passed. And, um, you know, my girls were very, I think this was the first real death that really struck them hard. Mm. And it's almost like, you know, my mom's like, you need to put them in CCD. They don't understand these things in it. And I don't want to put them in regimented, but, I'm having a hard time um, explaining to them what your soul is, right? Because mm -hmm. Aria, the little one, is like very crude. She's like, okay, well, Uncle Chris is gone. And they came to the wake, but it was it, they didn't go into the room to see him. Um, mm -hmm. And it was open casket. And I was like, you know, then we went to the burial. And, and my oldest kind of, I don't know if she really wanted to ask questions, but my youngest, you know, they're four is that age of curiosity and a lot of questions where you're like, shh, don't say that right now. <laughs> well, cause you know, we're literally at the burial. She's like, is uncle Chris in the box? I'm like, he's Aww. in the box. She's like, but why is he in the box? When's he coming out? And I'm like, is, remember we said he went back to God and she's like, I don't understand, but he's in the box. And I'm like, his soul went back to God. And I'm trying to like explain what her soul is. And I'm like, crap, like I can't <laughs> figure this out in a way that makes sense. And so you know, we're trying to have this conversation of like your, you know, slowly about like your soul and your heart and that feeling inside of you that makes you who you are and, and trying to explain that your body is just 
you know, this vessel that, that brings your soul and it's your soul that goes back to God, your memories, the, the things that make you who you are. Um, because we, I don't like using the word death, um, either in my house, we always say, go back to God. So we've had mm. some pets that have gone back to God. Um, because I think to me, that is, I, I, I don't want them to see life as, as this one thing that, that, mm. that is the spiritual side of me that comes back that says that, yes, we do go back to God. We go back to source. We go back to the universe. I also believe that we do come back, which is not, you know, what the Catholic church would, would have taught me. Um, but it's really interesting to go from my upbringing to now, well, how do I, without having my girls fall under this, um, very regimented classified, like we chose a religion, they were both christened into the Christian faith, um, through a very small parish that, um, belonged to my husband, which is where we got married, which has a very universal feel, which felt right to us, but I didn't feel like I wanted them to continue on with formal Catholic education. I didn't want them to go through the sacraments because um, I don't necessarily, I don't know what I believe with that anymore, but um, you know, it, it's, it's this process of, of, of pushing it away. And now I'm slowly starting to bring pieces back that feel good mm -hmm. um, to me. And I think this will be a, an, you know, a constant evolution. So for those that are, you know, I think you'll find yourself in all these different, um, areas of completely detaching to wanting to bring back to missing certain aspects so the night that chris was passing i was in the chapel and i haven't prayed the rosary and i don't know how many years no i prayed the rosary the night i was in labor with alexa which is actually really funny because i completely detached it was a very bad very bad labor <laughs> hour 40 i started praying the rosary oh, my word. and it was just but it was a comfort Mm -hmm. to me. And it, I don't know if it was the mechanical routine of the prayers or what. And I just kept praying that he go in peace, that he go in peace mm -hmm. now because it had been very long. Um, and I prayed the entire rosary, um, that night. And I just literally, that just popped up into my head the other day when I was in the shower, cause I'd forgotten about it. And I was like, how interesting is that, mm -hmm. that, um, and he was an, he was an atheist, but found God again in his journey of, of dying, which was very interesting. I almost did that with him. Mm. Um, but I found myself finding comfort in that routine again. So to me, I'm like, that's okay then for me to pull that back right. a little bit, not an everyday thing, but when I really need, it was almost like a form of meditation, which was really interesting because then again, the Catholic church is against meditation. <laughs> right. right. Of course. Yeah, what, and what I love about this too, is that you are tapping into your own connection with God, with source, with spirit to determine what is right for you in that moment. So the idea, you know, again, this just really respectful individual journey and process to really know what works for you right here, right now in this moment for you to connect spiritually. And then at the idea that you're not hold you're not beholden to that and you're not holding so tightly that it becomes something that would be more religious that is an external thing that you've got to fulfill in order to get that worthiness that we talked about earlier it really just is a very simple way 
to have that, you know, kind of like a gut check within yourself Mm -hmm. to know where that connection is coming from and what brings you peace and what brings you comfort. And even to that point, what brings you joy. And I think sometimes, you know, we're separated from our emotions because we're told that we can't rely on them and, you know, that emotions are fickle and the only thing that we can do is follow the rules or, you know, any of that kind of thing. When in reality, I found in retrospect, it's my emotions that give me the indication mm-hmm. when I need to look deeper. And if it's something, you know, if I'm holding on to unforgiveness or if I'm really just overwhelmed with gratitude, what is that all about? You know, like it, the emotions are an invitation to go deeper. It has been my experience. And that was never that's exact opposite <laughs> of what I was ever taught. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because. It's the exact opposite of what we're taught, but at the same time, I remember speaking with, you know, um, Sister Christina, who became a nun, and I remember asking her, you know, what made you decide to become a nun, to drop your amazing career, highly educated woman, to this simple, humble life of servitude, like totally honest. And she's like, I was called, and I'm like, what does that mean? Mm. And she says, it's this feeling. Hmm. And that's what she said. It was this feeling that that's what I was supposed to do. And so to me, I always tell my girls and I tell everyone that I work with and mothers, that feeling, you want to call it gut feeling, you want to call it your heart, that little voice, that's the universe speaking to you. That's God speaking to you. That's source speaking to you. Mm -hmm. That's your own intelligence. You know, that 90% of your brain that we don't know what it does (laughs) speaking to you. And and I found it so ironic because we're taught that the feelings aren't how you make decisions and stuff and to be regimented and not think for yourself. But at the same time, that calling those, if you speak to anyone that's been called to the church, very few actually get like a tangible sign. And even still, that's really kind of like, you know, determined. Most of them say it's this feeling. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's, and I tell my girls, does it feel good to you when you do it? Then do it. And I use that to teach them Mm -hmm. what you just said to your sister. If she had said that to you, how would that make you feel? And their eyes get really big. I don't have to tell them what they said was wrong. They know. Mm. And so it's such a, 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 a simple tool that we have that we need to, I think, reconnect with again. Um, and I think that's kind of what allowed me to kind of navigate this again. Well, does this feel good? Mm. The stepping into the Catholic church, what I've started doing just once a year with sister, just with sister Christina to hear the sisters of life sing and go to mass. Does that feel good to me? Well, it does right now at the moment. It feels good for my girls to see that. It would also feel good to go to a temple and visit with a friend and experience mm-hmm. that or to go, you know, and see a Buddhist ceremony and sit there. That also feels good to me to connect with all of these different ways. It doesn't have to be this one way. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels good to me that my girls pray every night at dinner and they start it and we hold hands. And my little one, it's called fake. We say, thank you all my friends. Cause that's when they were little, <laughs> That's all they could say is thank you. Thank you. All my friends, you know, when they're really little. So that's become what we, you know, we laugh. We're like, okay, are we going to do thank you all my friends tonight? And, and to me, it's so beautiful to watch them hold hands and bow their little heads. And it's not because they're mirroring me. It just feels, that's what it feels like to them that they need to do. And they bow their little heads and they thank God for everything, Mm. for material things, for the sun, for friends, for food, 
And that to me feels so much more genuine than anything I had ever done at that age or prayed at that age that I say, well, that's, I'm doing that right. That feels genuine. That's how we're supposed to pray. If you want to say prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, I think to me, that makes me feel like I am still a good Christian in that sense. And when my mom is still after me, you know, they really need to do first Holy communion and blow. I'm like, they pray mom, watch Mm. them, watch them at Thanksgiving when the four-year-old will get up in front of 30 people and count her blessings. Mm. And that's how I wanted to raise my girls. Um, And I think that's really important is to find what feels good for you and your family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love, I just love that idea of thank you all my friends because it, it takes out the labeling and the expectation that has to go along with what, you know, again, you know, not to beat a dead horse here, but like, again, what we were raised with. And even when you get into the idea of all the different faces of God and the Mm -hmm. different ways that, you know, are, we're provided for, that we are shown love and grace and mercy and, and all of these attributes to say thank you all my friends feels just so open and expansive and inclusive all at the same time. I love that. And I might be stealing that for our own dinner table. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and really w- one of the reasons I think we, I kind of started doing it. We started doing um, gratitude. I just want to talk about gratitude at night. And that's a big thing that we talk about at raising a powerful girl is, is teaching girls to be grateful for things, teaching girls to find the little things that happened in their day that was good because Mm -hmm. we are so often so quick to focus on the negative. And so often we think that there's, that we're just not good at anything. And it's really, it was just this technique for me to build their self-esteem and self-confidence. And it just involved into this beautiful thing where it was like, you know, and and it's even more impactful on days that we're all in a funk. Mm-hmm. And, and, and someone at the table, one of the children will know mm-hmm. mom and dad are in a funk and they'll stop and they'll say, let's do thank you all my friends. And we all take a deep breath in mm-hmm. and breathe out and it recenters. And we are, what are we thankful for? Mm-hmm. Like, let's stop right now and look at what we have in our life. That's so amazing mm-hmm. from rain. It's been raining for two weeks. Thank you. I know we want to play outside and we're tired of it, but what is that rain doing? Thank you for all the rain that's watering our garden with the vegetables that we're growing and that are feeding the birds. And for them to see that and to be thankful for that is just, I think is such a life skill and it doesn't have to be prayer. And so if you want to detach from prayer, just sit with your children. What are you thankful for today? What was good today? What did you do to go out of your comfort zone today to help someone else? Now, when we look at it that way, we're thinking of, you know, helping others, but it's a very, you could see it as a very religious Christian thing. Mm -hmm. How are you helping your brothers and your sisters and loving others and preaching kindness? And, and, and I can look at it that way and say, this is actually a very, you know, very religious, much more in tune in a way that is teaching them to be good people because it feels good to them, Mm -hmm. not because they're being told that's what they need to do. Right. And it's much more impactful. 
Well, and I, I love this idea, too, and especially the, the idea that you mentioned with the girl sometimes leading the charge. In our home, it's called the reset button. And so, you know, we have a very similar process, and inevitably when things get off to a wrong foot or, you know, we hit a, a rocky bit of the road, one of the three of us will say, I think we need to hit the reset button. And it gives all of us a chance to simply pause and really, you know, kind of own whatever piece of that we brought to the table and then to be able to set it aside. Like, first you have to identify, I think, what it is that, you know, if you were upset about something or if there's a conversation, maybe now that my kids are older, we have conversations amongst us that can get really complicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, to the point, we had one of those days uh, very recently, I think maybe two, three weeks ago, and I had a conversation with my kids and I had asked two separate questions. One was, how can I be a better mom to you? And the second was, how can we improve our household efficiencies? Because by no means is the fact that I'm the mom, even though I'm the only parent in the house, that doesn't mean that it is solely my responsibility to run our house. You guys are 15 and 16, almost 16 and 17. Part of knowing how to go out into the world and be self-sufficient means that you get a lot of ownership and responsibility here at home as well. And that's how mm -hmm. we build that muscle. So it's very clear to, to say, you know, mom does not equal maid and cook and, you know, chauffeur and yada, yada, yada. And at the same time, really the heart of the matter was our relationship because I made a really um, – I made a, a bad assumption based on we were actually in the middle of a reset and I thought that my son was being sarcastic and I responded to him as if his comment was sarcasm when it wasn't. He, his sister had made a change in attitude and he was genuinely complimenting her in that change and I took it as sarcasm and that he was berating her or trying to make it, you know, more dramatic. So I lost my shit. And then he lost his, and it just kind of devolved from there. So the coming back together again, another reset, and my question saying, how can I be a better mom? His response blew me away. Blew me away. He said, well, I'd really like it if you could reread the four agreements. Mm. I was like, okay then. He's like, yeah, I think you made an assumption there. I was like, yep, you are absolutely right. I sure did. That is exactly what I did. And I'm sorry. And just to be able to have that, like, complete honesty, vulnerability, transparency all in that moment, there was a part of my heart that's, like, beaming with pride. Because here is my 16-year-old son calling me on something that he sees in me in an effort to help me be the best mom to him that I can be. And on the other side, there is absolute shame and embarrassment uh -huh. that, wow, I really screwed that up. So it's kind of funny how that, you know, you can have both emotions all at the same time, but it really became such a powerful conversation. And it was all around the reset button and about them having the tools to then become, you know, each of us really the best version of ourselves that we can be, but then how we all each show up as that best version and how we connect with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because those, when you think about those feelings of guilt and shame that you felt, that's probably some layers that have been thrown on you. Because if we, if we learn to look at our children as 
individual people who have their own opinions and are allowed to have their own opinions and they gave their opinion to you and you took it as just an opinion of another person, you probably wouldn't feel as so much of the guilt and shame and fear. But it's that concept of the hierarchy that's still Mm -hmm. in us, right? Mm -hmm. That we're the adult, we're the parent, we're supposed to be the all-knowing and they're the children, they're the younger ones, they're not supposed to know as much as us being below. When they call you out on your shit, Mm -hmm. you're like, that's where that comes in. But if we could just look at our children and know that they're here to teach you just Mm -hmm. as much as you are here to teach them and that they are equal human beings, you learn to get rid of that guilt. Absolutely. And that's a a real game changer, I think, not only for us all individually in our families, but for society as a whole. Because I think then when there's a base level of respect, just human to human, Mm -hmm. that changes everything. Yeah, it really does. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Which actually, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier, uh, speaking about respect, you mentioned earlier that your mom still kind of circles back to some of these traditions that she really would like to see you have the girl's experience. Um, And I say that specifically in the sense that she wants you to ensure that the girls do these things. What is your relationship like now with your family of origin, kind of having that distance from the organized religion aspect, but at the same time still having a lot of spirituality? What does that look like for you now? You know, I think I still have a lot of issues with my mom. I love my mom dearly, but um, I can I can really look back at the way that I was raised and things that she's said and still continues to say as being things that have put a lot of layers on me that have caused a lot of damage from um, reinforcing, um, you know, the modesty to causing the body image issues to um, teaching me to be kind of quiet and not have a voice. Um, I'm, I'm at the, I think at the point in my life where I'm just such a freaking oddball in the house. Um, I call myself the black sheep of the family and everyone, everyone's like, you're not the black. I'm like, I'm the black sheep, dude. I'm the, I'm the, you know, my mom's a nurse. My mom's a a nurse. Um, my first baby, I decided I was going to have a home birth. My, my husband was born at home. So I had at least that backing from his mom, uh, um, on that, but my mom thought I was nuts and literally 40, 41 hours of labor. She was, and, and I was considering transferring because of exhaustion. She was like yelling at me and praying and saying, you have to go. This is crazy. And, and she wouldn't understand it. And then I had a lot of breastfeeding issues and she was like, just formula feed her. And I'm like, I don't want to. And then, you know, with my second again, um, you know, I was going to have her at home and she's like, after that. And I was like, you need to step off. You know, I cloth diapered my girls. We ate organic food. Um, You know, I had paying a shit ton of money for private monastery education while building a new business. And, you know, let's be honest, the first three years of a startup suck Mm -hmm. and you make no money. And, you know, I'm in the red and and it's treading water and everyone's like, pull the girls out of school. I'm like, you do not understand. Right. And I'm at the, you know, and she brings up the religious things and I'm like, you know, I christened them in a way that felt good to me. And what I throw back into her face is I tried to get married in, in our Catholic church. And, um, you know, I moved out of the house at 18. I worked 
50 to 60 hours a week while putting myself through school. My husband who had his school being paid for by his parents moved off campus into an apartment with me and got a job to help me pay to go through school. And, you know, we went to get married and there was no money that was offered to us from our families really to help. Um, and so we had a small budget, like, you know, we were 26 years old. I was a paramedic. They don't make a lot of money. Um, and I went to the church. My grandmother had probably left them close to half a million dollars when she died. They had donated so much money. Our family was very well known in that area. With the work that I did for that church as, as, as a, you know, an ambassador and then for the high school. And I went there and it was the same Monsignor that I knew. And I said, I wanted to get married. Well, he told me it was $5,000 to get married at the church. And it was a minimum $2,000 donation I had to give. And I said, my budget for my wedding is $10,000 total. I'm like, I can't afford that. And he said, well, then you can't get married here. Mm. And that for me was when the bandaid was ripped off. Mm. And I was like, peace out. And then I, I was like, well, what do I do? I, that was that was the literal kick in my stomach mm. where I realized that I didn't matter. Mm. That's when I realized that that church was all about the money. And as a human, I didn't matter. The work that I had done didn't matter. What my family had done didn't matter. And, and I pushed it away and I my husband's like, well, let's try my church. And it was this teeny, tiny, beautiful little church in, in New York. Um, Sybil Ludington, who is the female Paul Revere, who rode farther <laughs> than Paul Revere, is actually buried hmm. in that cemetery. It's from the 1700s. And I called and the pastor was the son of the pastor that had um, baptized uh, or christened my husband. And um, it was Presbyterian, but they were moving to Universalist. And, and I said, you know, I'd like to find out about get ma getting married here. And she's like, told me all about it. And I was like, well, what are the fees? She's like, well, it's $50. But if you don't have it, honey, don't worry. We'll do it for you. I'm like, are you kidding me? And they were amazing and beautiful. And it was this simple little thing. And then, then I started seeing the freedom because then mm. I got to write my own wedding ceremony. I wrote my own wedding ceremony. I brought, I, we had a hand fasting ceremony, which pulled in from my Irish culture. We did the Spanish coins, which pulled in from my Spanish culture. We had a Native American poem, which was read, which pulls in from my husband's heritage. We wrote our own vows. I wrote our entire wedding ceremony hmm. myself I love and that. we got married there. Um, and I think at that point, my mom was kind of like, all right, I see. And I think she still tries every once in a while. And I think it's because as parents, when we have a child, we have these expectations. We imagine of what we think it's going to look like to have that baby, to bring that baby home, what she's going to do, what we want her to do with her life, what we want her to be, what we want to experience. Mm -hmm. And the first lesson that you need to learn as a parent, and a lot of people go their entire life without learning this, is that this is their journey, mm -hmm. not yours. Right. And your goal as a parent, your job as a parent is to guide them, guide them, teach them to learn, to use their hearts, to connect to source and to follow their own path without any expectations because then you will never be disappointed. And what I feel oftentimes my mom is missing is seeing the beauty 
that I have created with my own girls mm. that my four-year-old can talk to you about God and source and look at a butterfly and say, hi, Uncle Chris. Mm. And that she'll sit and look at the sky and be thankful and that I am doing a really good job yeah. teaching them spirituality, teaching them to connect to source and God in a way that they're picking it up in a way that feels natural to me in a way that's genuine and helping others without the rigidity and structure that I was raised in. And I hope someday that she'll see that. I'm so grateful for your vulnerability and just willingness to be seen in in all of this not just sharing you know your history and and sharing the experiences but also where you are right now in that process with your mom thank you for that you're welcome and i hope it helps others you know it's it's a tough it's a tough journey you know um it's a tough journey but i think it's uh i think it's really important that if you if it doesn't feel good, mm. look for something else. And it doesn't mean you have to detach completely. It might just be looking for another church. Right. You know, some, you know, it, it just it, do it because it feels good to mm -hmm. you. When you're there, you feel alive. It feels amazing. And there is no doubt. Mm -hmm. And if that is for you walking into a Catholic church and going through mass and being where you are, then I am so happy for you. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. You can find, doesn't mean you have to get rid of religion completely. You just need to find it in a different way that works for you and for your family. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, let, let go of that guilt, let go of that shame um, because it, it holds on to you. It's what you were taught. You know, it's, it's a tool that's used to keep you there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that can, can, that applies to everything in your life, especially as, as a woman, you know, do it not because society tells you to do it, not because society says that's what you should be, do, or look like, do it because it feels good to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because really that's where we're back in our own skin. That's when we're back in our own power. And I think for so many of us, not only do we have, you know, a lot of the body shaming piece that comes along with us and the, the modesty issues and, you know, all of the layers, but I think also there was a time, so many of us don't know when it happened, but at some point in time, whether gradually or all of a sudden, we disassociated with our own bodies to the extent that we didn't even know how to know if something felt good or not, it just became rote, it became routine, it became follow the rules and get the gold stars, rather than really truly being in our own skin, standing in our power, being able to, you know, breathe deeply and feel the breath through our entire body, and to know what God or the universe might be trying to tell us in that exact moment in that experience. So coming back into that, it can be a very uh, gradual process or it can be something that happens all of a sudden, just like the dismantling did. Mm -hmm. But that really is where we can always come back to something as simple as kick off your shoes and go stand in the grass 
stand in the sun, feel what it feels like to have the sun's rays come on you and soak that in. Something just that simple can start to develop that practice again to really be able to have that level of connection. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Maria, thank you so much for this. This has been such a gift, and I'm so grateful to have been able to have this conversation with you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And if this resonated with you, for those of us that are listening, my ask is simple, just that you would share it with someone else that you think would resonate as well. You know, always it's great to have the ratings and the reviews and the likes and subscribes and all the rest of it, but really at the end of the day, it's about sharing the journey. And so we just ask that you would do that if this has resonated with you today. So Maria, thank you again. And we will see you guys again soon with Recovering Church Girls. Bye.